재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Over the weekend, a series of powerful earthquakes struck Asia and South America, prompting fears of a rapid surge in seismic activity worldwide. You've been hearing the term ring of fire in the news quite a bit lately. And we're going to try to get some analysis on this right now from the University of Melbourne. Earthquake science professor Mark Quigley is joining us. Hello. Hello there. Professor Quigley, thank you so much for joining us. I guess the first question on everyone's mind, uh, the major earthquakes in Ecuador and in Japan. Any links there as the assumption a lot of people who aren't uh, seismologists are making right now? Yeah, so there's there's no clear linkage between these two earthquakes. They occurred about 32 hours apart. And so sometimes when we see um, linked earthquakes, you know, that we can see a, perhaps an increase in seismicity as surface waves from one earthquake go around the globe. Uh, in this case, there's no clear relationship between these two events. That does not discount the possibility that there is sort of um, possi- possibly a tra- chain reaction phenomenon going on, though? Um, not not in this case, because the, the first earthquake, the one in Japan, is a magnitude 7 earthquake. So okay. we get about 15 of those earthquakes per year globally. And um, they for sure influence the stresses in that immediate area. So there'll be lots of aftershocks around the, the area of that Japanese earthquake, hundreds and hundreds of felt earthquakes, that sort of thing. But the stresses induced by an earthquake like that are not uh, very strong when you look at the sort of the global scale. Now, if we have a magnitude 9 earthquake, mm. we tend to get a really large footprint in terms of how that influences the region. But a magnitude 7 isn't typically that big. So I, I think that would be then uh, a bit of a relief for uh, many of our listeners here, especially uh, because we are so close to uh, Japan geographically speaking, although uh, up till now we haven't had any uh, major events here to be overly concerned about. That being said, there seems to be some kind of sense among uh, people that uh, these type of seismic events are occurring more frequently. Do we have any... I suppose, empirical evidence that uh, these kind of major earthquakes are more frequent these days than in the past? Yeah, well, so since 2004, we've had basically double the rate of earthquakes, uh, large earthquakes, um, than we would, say, if we looked at the preceding century of earthquakes before that. So there's just this natural ebb and flow of seismicity around the planet. And typically, you know, if we have a really large event, like a magnitude 9 earthquake, we might get a magnitude 8 aftershock Mm. and a whole bunch of other uh, magnitude 7 earthquakes. And so the occurrence of these relatively rare but really, really large earthquakes tend to cause spikes. So between 1950 and 1965, we also had a period where we were undergoing quite a lot of seismicity and compared to background. And then in the 70s and 80s, we actually had relatively few big earthquakes. So uh, one of the things we often try to really work out as scientists is what is sort of the background noise? What is the inherent kind of just variation in the system? And then uh, can we draw links between these sort of events? And so, yes, we're in a period where we're having more earthquakes than the background. But is it, you know, leading into a global surge of earthquakes around the entire plate boundary? No, not necessarily. So then the, the fear that as people have always been wondering about the big one coming, that's not something necessarily that uh, we have any idea of knowing or precisely being able to predict uh, in the uh, years to come. Well, 
it depends where you are, of course, mm. right? So if you were living in the area that was affected by the magnitude 7 Japanese earthquake, you would be expecting to get at least one aftershock that's kind of in the magnitude 6 range. And if that happens right underneath uh, your town, your city, it can actually be much more damaging than the magnitude 7 earthquake. That exact thing, same, that exact thing happened in Christchurch. We had a magnitude 6 earthquake right underneath the city that actually caused fatalities and much more damage than the bigger earthquake. In the case of Ecuador, we know that that earthquake was big enough to perturb the stress field along that plate boundary. So if you live in a coastal region on the western side of South America, of course it makes sense that you're going to, be, you're going to have to really think hard about your tsunami evacuation plans, mm-hmm. think about the, you know, the integrity of your buildings, these sorts of things. So we're pretty good at understanding where future earthquakes are likely to occur, particularly where we've just had a major event like these two. I'm from California, so for people like us, for people who live in Japan or these uh, various places, a lot of times uh, you 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 get a couple of tremors, and it's not that big a deal. Uh, but people here in Korea, and maybe you can, whether it is to put people's minds at ease or maybe uh, cause more concern, they're always wondering because of the proximity to Japan whether indeed, with the way the plates are shifting and and our lack of understanding of this type of science is that whether Korea is prone to something major because of the fears, because our buildings are certainly not as earthquake-proof as they are in Japan. Yeah, that's that's true, and that's always a concern, right? Because um, a lot of times, large death tolls happen in places where earthquakes are perhaps a little bit less frequently, and therefore the building codes yeah. are uh, not as strict or not as well uh, adhered to. Um, and you know, I think that. What needs to be uh, thought about in that kind of context is has your has your risk changed in any real relative appreciable way in Korea from this magnitude seven earthquake uh, in Japan or the seven point eight in Ecuador? And the, the the easy answer to that is no, not in any okay. sort of major way has your risk changed. Now that said, when they when there was the big magnitude nine Tohoku earthquake, mm-hmm. that earthquake was really large enough to infect to um, change stress fields all along that that immediate plate boundary. So that remains an area that we would still be concerned about going forward. So we just try to tell people just be aware of your own backyard, be aware of your, you know, ask questions about the integrity of your building, work out whether it's uh, up to the the seismic building code. If you live on the coast, think about what you might do if there was a tsunami, if you had some sort of warning, these sorts of things. Right. And and the final question, uh, as an expert in your field, uh, are we any closer to being accurately able to forecast these type of events, and what are some of the principal challenges that remain? Yeah, so we're actually very good at forecasting earthquakes. I mean, we have a variety of statistical models that are almost a little bit like a weather forecast, for instance. So when earthquake sequences are going on, we can say, you know, there's a there's a 1 in 100 or 1 in 1,000 or 1 in 10,000 chance of experiencing strong shaking, shaking in this particular region or that. So there's some level of of, uh, I guess, increased knowledge gain in our forecasts. And we know we've mapped major faults quite well around the planet. We know, for instance, that places like Tehran, places like Istanbul, places in Japan, places in New Zealand, places in California will eventually have really big earthquakes. We're also very good at knowing what will happen in that environment mm-hmm. when those big earthquakes occur. What we can't do is put an exact date on the map Right. an exact time that says there's going to be a big earthquake on this date, and therefore you need to be completely aware of that. 
the way we get around that is we try to outrace earthquakes by mm. giving warnings, early warnings and things like that. So there's a variety of really important technology, but we're still at the stage now where we can tell people, right. you know, go away for the weekend. There's going to be a magnitude 7 in the city. We're just not there. We may never okay. get there. Very interesting indeed. Professor Quigley, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, Henry. Professor Mark Quigley, we've got Seoul City News up next.